I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Yeah, I've got a bat tattoo, so I must really like biology. Big science story broke last week. It's reported by Post Media. It was revealed the Canadian Arctic ice reached a record low in 2012. <laughs> in 2012. It took two years for this news to be reported. That is the state of science journalism in Canada. To be clear, this is not a criticism of Post Media or of their reporter, Margaret Munro. It's actually a fine piece of journalism in that it required an access to information request to pry from the government this exchange, this absurd exchange between the government-funded scientists at the Canadian Ice Service who needed to go through nine levels of permission through the government, nine levels of bureaucracy to get permission to hold a press conference to reveal this information to Canada's science press. And they never got it. It reached level six, the ministerial level, and they were denied. One of those nine levels of bureaucracy is the Privy Council office, which is directly controlled by the prime minister's office. So in effect, the prime minister can stop any piece of scientific information generated by government-funded scientists from reaching the science press. The result, in a best-case scenario, is a two-year news cycle. For all we know, and I suspect it might be true, Canadian Arctic ice may have reached another record low in 2013 and another record low uh, this current summer. I don't know. I guess we'll find out in two years. 
What are science journalists, what are science broadcasters to do in this atmosphere? It's a big question. It's a big topic. Today's conversation will not be the last word. It will not be definitive. It will be the beginning of that conversation on this program. I hope to talk to a lot of people about this going forward, but I couldn't be more excited about who I'm talking to today. Dan Riskin is an evolutionary biologist. He's also a very popular television personality, co-host of Daily Planet on Discovery Canada, also a host on Animal Planet. Super interesting guy to talk to. Has a big thing for bats and animal penises of all kinds. We won't be talking about that. I will be talking to him in a moment. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This podcast is sponsored by Audible. You know that. You've heard me say that before. You know that you can download a free audiobook right now, but maybe you haven't actually done that. Why not go to audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand and download an audiobook from their library of 150,000 audiobooks. One that you might like is actually written by my guest today, Dan Riskin. It's called Mother Nature is Trying to Kill You. Should I not do this? Should I not suggest that you get his book? He hasn't asked me to or anything. You understand, I realize, that promoting themselves or their books is one main reason why people come onto shows like this, but maybe I shouldn't be directly talking about the person's book. I don't know. It feels equally weird for me to avoid suggesting this book, which I haven't read, but which it occurs to me you may enjoy. I don't know. It's up to you. There are a lot of other books there, too. Check it out, audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. Science media and science journalism is not so dissimilar from tech journalism, which I did for a number of years. Okay. In that, the two types of stories that I was encouraged to write were either, hey, that's neat, 
or holy shit, be afraid. <laughs> and, and that's the modality. Right. Like it's either, hey, look, there's a neat new piece of technology. Hey, look, there's a neat new scientific discovery or it's you're going to fucking die. Right. And anything in between was very hard to get out there. Well, my experience has been a little different, and it's because I've worked on Daily Planet for most of my journalism career. And at Daily Planet, there's a very, very specific goal, and that is to tell a good story every single time. Like if you watch any five-minute segment, even through a good uh, Discoveries or one of the pieces that's that's shorter – you want to have like, here's a problem and here's a solution, or here's a character who's on a quest and here's, here's the outcome of their quest. And getting the science in there is, um, it's not secondary in the sense, I mean, we're there for the science, but when you figure out how you're going to put that thing together, you need to have a story arc. You need to have people like they're hooked at the beginning. Oh, there's been a car accident and they're scrambling to figure out how to save this guy. And science is going to be how they get to that solution. But it's not, here's, you know, this new technology that's going to blow your mind because the the show used to be sort of hooked on here's something that's going to blow your mind but the data showed that people just don't stick around for that they get hooked by a crazy thing happening on another channel where there's some crazy character doing something dumb or something and so we use story to try to lure people in and that at least in the there's there's a new boss since I've been there and this is really her her name's Kelly McEwen and this is really her vision and yeah. I think it's working I mean the numbers show it our numbers are up and so um and so that seems to be that's that's become part of my way of seeing science outreach now is to look for these stories. Well, you know, we'll, we'll talk about your show, but let's let's put it in a wider context of of science media and science discussion. How science gets talked about in a popular way, okay? And I think that what you're saying is is uh, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's absolutely essential, and it's not that different than what you know any piece of journalism, any story, be it on uh, or, or you know if what you're doing is more information based entertainment, whatever it is, it's got to have a good story, right? I mean, journalists are always looking for. A, a, you know, a story arc, which I guess is one major difference between like what science does, which is just looking for yeah. truth. No story. Yeah. <laughs> Who um, cares about the story? Is just, it true or isn't it? Exactly. You know? And, uh, you know, the burden of the way that we do this, I, I mean, there's just different approaches to telling the truth, but we have this whole thing of like, we got to dazzle them, we got to get them. Right. And especially if you're doing for a popular audience. So, sure. As you say, finding character and conflict is essential for telling a good story. Does that preclude actually getting into the guts of the information, especially when it's you're talking about something that the guts are the thing, you right. know? Like, it's very easy with science, I think, to find that human angle. It's about Ebola. There are people dying. Sure, we sure. spoke to one of them. But really, like, w- what I want to know about that is, like, well, okay, there's people dying everywhere of all kinds of diseases. Uh, and what I can't seem to get out of those stories, which have these photos of these bereaved families and atrocious images that are certainly evocative, uh, okay, well, I want to know about the science. Like, like, is this going to spread to me? Mm-hmm. Why is this particular disease getting so much attention? And, and I, I often find those details are hard to divine. Totally. Yeah, it's um – I mean, it's it's uh, it, it comes down to what are what's everybody's objective? What's everybody trying to do? I mean, you know, my background is science, and so my bias is with the scientists who are being interviewed because I used to be that guy. Yeah, and and um, and so I care about making sure that it's correct. And I've learned in my three years at Daily Planet and and through the stuff I've done with other shows that the focus of the people making the show is different. They want to get eyeballs. They want people to watch the show. And so those are not mutually exclusive by any stretch, but the priorities of the people making the documentary or the TV show and the priorities of the people being interviewed are different. 
And so you have to find that common ground and it really helps to understand what each other's different goals are. So if you're an Ebola researcher and you are being interviewed, if you know in your mind that those that the person interviewing you is going to want to scare everyone and is going to want to talk about how how gross it is and how dangerous it is and what happens to your body, ask yourself if that's a place you want to go. Is or, or do you feel like it's going to hurt your credibility to talk about the the fact that you're going to bleed out of your body and to talk about what happens to the body? I mean, I think that helps your credibility in that particular instance like if you if you talk about the symptoms and you say i'm an expert on ebola here's what it does it's actually quite terrible it does these things then you give them what they're looking for and then you also can say now what we study is you know how contagious this stuff is and so this is a whole even more interesting and you try to really sell it and say like what we're looking at is important too and you can't understand the whole story without it now ultimately it's going to be up to the editor whether the stuff you care about gets included or not but um, it's a it's a tit for tat thing. You you can give them a little something that they want. It doesn't have to be combative. You don't have to say, look, I'm not going to talk about the symptoms because there's been enough of that on television already. I really want to talk about how it spreads. And so you know, you just you have to it, communication can really help and honesty. I think between the person being interviewed and the person who's making the thing, so you know what you're getting into. Is there a particular context for this in Canada when we're talking about? I think it's something like 2,000 scientists lost their jobs due to mm. Harper cuts, mm-hmm. and uh, there were protests in third different cities and it seems like the cuts were targeted towards scientists who were doing absolutely research on environmental effects totally. of uh, the uh, tar sands and uh, climate change so, you know essentially just stopping a flow of information and fact finding that might influence government policy and just like well let's just not <laughs> let's, let's not investigate that stuff anymore right. and then we won't have to adapt our policy yeah, won't be policy. any bad news if we don't ask any if we don't have any scientists investigating it yeah, yeah. and that has an effect on the media too because like those scientists and their findings fuel what journalism covers. Yeah. And federal scientists aren't allowed to talk to the media, right? They're not allowed to just go and do an interview with Daily Planet or with you. They, they have to go through somebody from the government who will then s- s- approve the message and will control the interview and might even not let the interview happen. And if you've got a quick turnaround, like I want to do a story about this, this mine disaster, can I get a federal scientist? Well, you know, we'll put it through the paperwork and we'll see if we can get somebody from the government to be in on that meeting and to approve the interview. And it, it's very, I mean, it's hard to state just how freaky it is. I mean, the USSR, it's just, it's like living in the USSR in terms of in terms of freedom of information from the scientists, from the science that we as citizens pay for to us, like there is just this big blockade and it's all going through these filters. And uh, sometimes it's malicious, like we're not letting the scientists talk to you. And other times it's a little bit more subtle, like, well, we're just going to put our little spin on this so that, you know, like the new Arctic Research Center is going to be named after an oil company that gave us some money, stuff like that. And, and but also we're taking down that, that, um, that research station that we have up there that's looking at climate change because you know what it's just not it's just not paying for itself yeah it's, it's like really it's not is that because science science can be expensive but it's a pretty good investment i think you know there were internal documents that uh got released i think through access to information that, that showed that when the federal government provides access to scientists they put out the a word throughout the scientific community the reason for this is they wanted science to speak with one voice just like a government department does science work that way? The science never speaks with one voice, and that can be used to water down a scientific consensus. So, you know, for example, science is, um, you know, there's no disagreement that evolution is true, but you can always find some wingnut working at some 
college and who knows where who says, oh, it's not true. We think it's not true. And then you can make it look like we're divided. And there's no like governing body that says, come on, scientists, let's all toe the line because that breaks the whole thing, right? You, it, any new discovery has to start as one group or one person thinking differently. And then that idea spreads if it has legs. Yeah, the idea that all of science in Canada could speak as one voice, like a government department is ludicrous. I mean, it's anti-science. It is. It is. I mean, the whole point of science is you form your own opinion and you don't believe anybody. That's the beauty of science. That is why I'm a scientist. Yeah. Because you never believe anyone. You don't believe your prof. You don't believe your friend. And you don't totally believe your own data until you've replicated it and replicated it and replicated it. And you can't think of any other possible explanation for what you've got. Uh, yeah, that's cool. I'm seeing some common ground between science and journalism in, in, in that, it, it, like, it doesn't work if it's just groupthink. Like right. the question, like, well, why are you always being so negative about stuff? It's like, well, you have to be, or else nothing ever gets anywhere. Right. You, you have to kick the tires of things, or else the story never progresses. But what we're describing here is like, you know, that's a good media story. Fifth Estate did a great job of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Silence of the Labs, good yep. title, and and we had some stories about the war on science. And then, like, you can't do that story twice. No. So all of the hundreds or thousands of stories we would have gotten out of that scientific research versus like one or two stories about science being killed in Canada. Sure. And then it's just kind of done. That's and now I, I see like, you know, the Golden Mill doesn't have a science section. Like mm-hmm. um, Post Media, like their, their app has an energy section, which I've learned is sponsored by the energy industry. Uh, I mean, we don't have even a, like a dedicated science magazine. Yeah. You Canada. know, it's, it's like, um, I guess the... You know, I talked a little bit about objectives. My objective is to make people care about that, right? So when I go out and do an episode of Daily Planet or I go and give a talk to a bunch of of, uh, university students or whatever, the point is not to make them understand the scientific concept. That's nice. But the point is to make them see that this is worthwhile as an endeavor and that science matters and that we can take great pride in our history as a country that does science and then the people that do science, that scientists are cool people, that they're interesting and that you'd like to support science. And all things being equal, you would like to have researchers trying to figure out whether nanoparticles are a good thing, like graphene, right? Everybody's like gung-ho on graphene right now. It's this crazy new way of arranging carbon molecules so that, or carbon atoms so that you make a sheet that's one atom thick and it's incredibly strong it conducts electricity better than copper you could like lift weights with a thing i mean it, it it has all these crazy properties that make it and it's cheap it's easy to make you make it with scotch tape it's just crazy stuff what and does it's, that mean it's the new plastic what does that mean you make it like when you well, say you make it i'm picturing like like you make it with scotch tape you arrange like i i, I do arts and crafts with my kids like yeah I, I, it's the same thing so what they did is they they had some some carbon and then they took scotch tape on it and then they pull off the scotch tape and it peels off one layer and leaves a little bit behind. I used to do this with lottery tickets when I was in junior high. If you took scotch tape and put it over the silver stuff, you could pull it back. And then if you held it up, you could almost see the numbers. And then you do it again, put on more scotch tape and just peel it back. And then you could just barely see. And then you could see the numbers before it looked like you'd scratched. And then you could scratch the ones. I'm I'm not telling people to to do that. You're just saying that you did I'm just this. saying that, I did that this. you perpetrated this And fraud. I just want to make it clear. No, I never cashed them in <laughs> because I, I didn't have the patience to not, you know, anyway. It, you I, had the patience to apply layer after layer of scotch tape. High. It was about, to... it was more exciting to me that you could pull it off. I didn't want to go to jail over this, right? Like for That's the $3 cool. prize. Like, no, I, I, at least, even in junior high, I had a sense that that would be a bad idea. I actually believe you. Yeah. I, I actually do. No, I, I'm, I'm a good person, I swear. So anyway, but the, they did this with carbon and, and you could get it to the point where you just kept peeling it back and you eventually got it so it was literally one it seems unbelievable as i say it but that's what i'm that's what i've read is that that's how they did it is that's how they got it one atom thick and and so they they peel away all the layers until that's all that's left and now you've got graphene and so the point i wanted to make is 
everybody's excited about graphene. There's no question it's going to change a lot of technologies. But, I am now excited about graphene. But what happens when it goes in the environment, right? So, like, you need researchers to test that stuff. You need you need them to dump some graphene in a lake, yeah. in the experimental lakes area, and see where it goes in the food what, chain. What, like, wait 20 years? Because you won't know where it's going to go otherwise. Yeah. You need that kind of science. And so my goal as a outreach science person is to make people care so that they will not allow a government to pull the stuff that they're pulling right now. People should be just absolutely, well, people should be, people can make up their own minds, but I am furious. I am totally outraged. I'm insulted. I am just so mad that my government is letting this happen in my country right now. I f- like, I feel like I live in the USSR and if you look back at the USSR and you're like, why didn't everybody rise up and just revolt? And I'm like, why aren't we doing more right now? So if I can get people to care at least when they vote next time, they'll be like, you know what? I didn't appreciate it when you killed science in Canada and when you just gutted our environmental legislation. I'm not happy that we have a whole bunch of creatures that are no longer protected and I would like a government that cares about the environment. That's I, I don't care if it's a new conservative government or if it's a liberal. I don't care about that. I just want science to be taken care of. Well, you don't care which it is, but we know which one it won't be. I mean, well, I mean, it won't be Harper. He seems to have a pretty clean record on not giving to you know, not caring about the environment and and really like actively being aggressive towards science. And, you know, like, you know, it's it's just it's it's really disheartening. And I would like to see that change and how it changes. Um, you know, it, if they could fix their party and make it work, I that'd be one thing. But it doesn't look like they're going to do that anytime soon. But I'm just saying I'm not anti-conservative. I'm just pro-science. Yeah. Well, he may well care about the environment, but he but he, I think he cares about his economic plan for this country more. And that economic plan seems to be kind of unilaterally focused on on the natural resource sector. And everything seems to be kind of falling in line with that vision, you know, and, and totally. Uh, what I ha- mean, he's, he's a great leader. He's really good. At, I mean, he's got a vision. He knows what he wants to do. And I think he cares about the environment of his bank account and the <laughs> bank accounts of all those rich Calgarians who are making a ton just work in the environment over. I mean, it just it just isn't worth it. It's just to make millionaires richer so that we can lose all our precious natural resources. It just just not worth it. You know, there was that wonderful John Oliver segment about uh, the climate change debate, and you sort of evoke it when you talk about how you could find that one, you yeah. know, um, what do they call that? Anti-evolution. What do they call it? The uh, creationist. Yeah, but they've got some science. Uh, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. What is yeah. their uh, oh, weasel word for it? Oh, what is it? It's uh, natural. No, create. Uh, what do they call it? Magical. Artificial uh, selection. Artificial selection. Okay. No, no, no. That's not it. Not, no, no, no. Come on, it's brain. Right where, what is it? Uh, it's, it's sciency. Yeah, no, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's uh, design, something design. Intelligent design. There it is. Intelligent design. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you saw this thing where John Oliver said. Did. Yeah. So the CNN device or, you know, the CBC device, the classic media model for something like climate change is, let's get Bill Nye the science guy because he sort of uh, is in your line of like a guy, a scientist. Who, I'm in his line. Let's be honest here. <laughs> a guy who, who, who has, who is a scientist, but who has taken upon himself to popularize and engage people and energize people, but has to sort of like represent the truth of science, which yep. is that everybody, you know, like 99% of the community uh, is has coalesced around, yes, this is happening. Man-made yep. climate change is a fact and, you know, extraction of oil and fracking, it all contributes. Um, so you've got him on one side and then you've got somebody who almost invariably has some kind of affiliation with the energy industry mm-hmm. uh, on the other side and they're having a debate as if this was a 50-50 debate. And John Oliver said, well, no, if you were going to actually do this debate properly – you don't have to get 99 scientists to mm-hmm. argue for climate change as a man-made uh, phenomenon and one against. And that's rounding up. I think if you really did it right, you'd have to have 998 scientists and, and two people who uh, 
who who disagree. You know, it's which the and and then Oliver actually brings in ninety nine scientists and he, and he makes the point. Well, this is untelevisable. It's a stupid debate. It's not a debate. This is true, right? Right. So, like. I wonder if we're not getting to a point where, you know, I, I, I was drawing these similarities between journalism and science's ways of, of achieving the truth, but some of the tricks and, and tools we have up our sleeve in broadcast journalism, in, you know, maybe more so in broadcast news and cable news than in print, but they just are impotent. They are completely ineffective. They don't just not service the truth. They lie. You know, that's a lie to make that a 50-50 debate. I mean, yeah, that's one way to call it. I mean, BBC has just said that they're not no longer going to do that, right? Yeah. They've just... They've just announced an edict that they're no longer going to give equal time to wing nuts. And that's nice. And I would like to see that spread as a good idea across the the world. Um, we certainly, you know, on Daily Planet, we certainly, um, we don't give any time to bogus theories. Yeah. I mean, we will have a Bigfoot researcher on who clearly is looking for something that's not there. And we will poke fun and we'll, you know, but we say, you know, here he is looking for it and la da 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 But the stakes seem low there. We don't. Right. We do, when the stakes are high, I mean... Bigfoot, uh, whether Bigfoot exists or not, is pretty much there's a scientific consensus, but the stakes are low enough that it's okay to be to, to fuzz around with. And that. it's an evocative hook to get people in. Which sure. if you don't do that, if it's just people love Bigfoot, we get viewers like it's they're like yeah. people watch our show. Oh, they got a Bigfoot story <laughs> on Daily Planet. We got to watch this. Bigfoot and cable TV is just like a marriage. Yeah. You know. But I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting at is not just sort of like a critique of that device because I mean, it's just good television to have two people yelling at each other. I mean, that just works. It can be. Yeah. The question then is, what is the other thing? If we remove wingnuts from the question, if we remove you, you made an exception for Bigfoot because it's just kind of fun. Sure. When you remove that, if you're talking about something that is just like, wow, this is atrocious. Science has agreed that what we're doing is atrocious. Right. Uh, the government is against. Like, like, so what is the news story? How does that progress? Because you need for a story to have legs, it has to have you know further developments and 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 stuff has to hit, and you need quotes and you need characters and story. Yeah. Some of these things are just locked in. This is bad, but we're doing it. Right. I mean, that's you're you're better equipped to answer that question than I am because you've thought about journalism for a lot longer than I have. Right. And I'm new to this journalism thing in science. We sort of – you get to sit in your armchair and say like, well, here are the facts and here's how I interpret them and um, you're free to disagree. And then you have an argument and, the, the, you know, even if you're talking about something that really does matter, the conversation among scientists gets to be sort of academic. Yeah. Right? And you get to sort of say, well, I'm not sure that what you're – I mean, there is a chance that it's not – the acidity that's causing that, but it could be some kind of a viral outbreak that is a downstream effect of the acidity, and then you start like having this. And argument. if you're a scientist, you could get really hot about yeah, that. Yeah, sure. And you particular... could yell, and maybe you'd have great TV because the scientists would be bashing each other on the head or something like this. <laughs> but, um, but but I'm not asking you as a scientist. I'm asking you as right. you know, and, and I don't know to what degree you consider. Uh, like I'm not so concerned about the, the line between a broadcaster and a journalist. You are a guy who's trying to popularize science because you feel that science is important for people to know about. Agreed. So this is a challenge for you, right? right? Oh, yeah. Like, how do I get people to care about the science that matters most? And it's an editorial problem. It's a, it's a communication problem. My experience has been that my passion for science has been what has pulled me forward in my career, like a sail on my ship. So it's not that I know bat biomechanics better than anybody in the world, because it turns out that's not all that important to people. I do know bat biomechanics really well. Like there, there are not very many people who know the biomechanics of bats as well as I do, but that just doesn't matter in the field I'm in now. What people love is when I jump up and down because I see, you know, like I've got a helium balloon in a minivan and I'm slamming the brakes trying to figure out if it's going to go backwards or forwards. You're the most enthusiastic bat biomechanic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got the biggest boner for bat biomechanics of anybody on television. That's, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, there are people with uh, equally... Bonerific ideas about uh, 
but they're not on TV. Yeah. 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 So that's the thing, right? You throw like a sentence like like an, uh, a sentence like that, and I'm like, okay, how do I break this down? Scientists, don't be Canadian. Take the trophy. It's you. Well, no, but the thing is, it's it's not just Canadian. It's scientists. So anytime a scientist says something at a conference. Yeah. Right. If I say I, um, this is the gr- best example of a la da 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 da, or this is the highest that any animal la da da da. If you have an audience of scientists, all the scientists are thinking the whole time is how can I prove that's wrong? Yeah. How can I prove that's wrong? What is wrong about what they just said? How? What is the exception to the rule that they're missing? And so your job as a scientist before you get up there is to have done that to yourself. Is and and yet in when you get on TV. Today, he's going to take this further than everyone's ever taken it before. You've got to go there. Yeah. And so you've got to get outside your comfort zone as a scientist. And that's sometimes where the conflict comes in. This isn't helping to answer your question about what the alternative is to the two people fighting on No, a we're agreed that you got to put asses in seats. you got to be a bit of a carnival barker. That's, yep. that's that, you know, we sing for our supper. That, that's an aspect of, uh, of what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Does that only facilitate Bigfoot stories and balloon stories? Or can we apply that to this, like, absolutely crucial debate that isn't happening about the killing of science in Canada. It's hard. Uh, You know, the fifth estate did do a really good job of it. And they did that by telling the stories of scientists, right? You follow the scientists and they're, oh, they're happily working on, you know, up in the north and they're excavating this archaeological site. And then all of a sudden their life is either kicked out of their own office. Yeah, that's the angle, right? The angle, you want conflict, you want character. Yeah. The angle is the conflict between the government and scientists. Right. And the characters who are trying to like find out true stuff about the world. Yep. And are having the rug pulled out from them and, and, you know, being sent on the street. Yeah. Now it's tricky because a lot of the scientists, that's the hand that's still feeding them. Those scientists that still have jobs, which is the minority, you know, they, they've got to keep their mouth shut or they're going to lose their jobs. And, and, you know, at some point, the other thing is like, it's a little bit like the climate change message that people have gotten tired of it, right? Like people, people, okay, I know that the world is, I know things are bad. So it used to be that every nature documentary was like, here are the beautiful orangutans and la da 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 And then it always ended with a bulldozer. Like, yeah. by the way, it's being taken away and you just leave with this awful feeling. And it was effective to make you understand the stakes, but people don't want that. People won't, like, they're like, I can't watch Click. And the story doesn't progress. With climate change, we have sort of been like, I accepted long ago that this is all true. And we are like at this precipice of, uh, you know, uh, like some form of like apocalypse. Yeah. You know, whether it be some like long drawn out one. And now I've sort of like slowly washed. It's like, oh, yeah, that seems to be happening. Yeah. It seems to be kind of like slowly and not so slowly affecting my world in huge, drastic, scary ways. Yeah. And and that just becomes the new normal. Yeah. And so what is the role of journalism slash science communicators slash whatever we are? What's our job here? I mean, everybody knows it, right? So, like, if you go up to somebody on the street and you say, uh, is climate change real? Probably, at least in Toronto, you'd probably, at least downtown Toronto, you'd probably be biased towards, yeah, sure, it's it's real. There are places where it might go the other way. I think polling has strong, like, the people accept it at this point. Okay, all right. So, I don't know what the polling said. I imagine there are places where it doesn't poll that way. But the point is, like... <laughs> Fort McMurray notwithstanding. Yeah, if they know that, I mean... You know, I I'm from Alberta. I yeah. and and I grew. You know, like my city was as as uh, habitable as it was because of the oil and gas industry. And 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 it's well, it there are a lot of jobs. people in Canada for whom the oil industry is a wonderful thing that yeah. has enriched their lives Absolutely. in many ways. But it's just like, is it incumbent upon them to to like stupefy themselves? I mean, like, is there some kind of like, can they actually talk about this? Or like, I think that so many of them feel that they have the back against, their backs against the wall because they right. have so much skin in the game personally that they must toe the line. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
So, you know, I have sort of two feelings on that. You, you can't really blame the truck driver for the direction that the oil and gas industry has taken, right? You can't blame them for decisions. That they're looking after themselves and they're looking after their own pocketbook and they're trying to make a living. And I totally get that. And that's, they're not the people that, um, that I think should be held, to, held accountable because we all drive cars. We all enjoy the Canadian economy that is fueled by the oil and gas industry. So, you know, like we're all in reaping the benefits here. So let's not call out people that have jobs that are directly for that because we're all, we're on the same gang here. But when the government says we're not going to measure the effects of the oil and gas industry so that we can make decisions with complete impunity and ne- not have a before and after comparison, that's not fair. That's, that's who I take issue with because why not let those people have those, like they might not, Maybe they'd make 10% less in the next 20 years, or maybe it'd be different. Maybe they would have to find, maybe the economy would have to diversify, and maybe we would all go through a hard time economically. I don't know. But um, let's, you know, let's at least have a conversation about this before, you know, let's at least look at the data. Let's look at yeah. what, we're, what we're getting ourselves into. Well, that's another conversation that could happen, another angle for the story, which is, you know, this is increasingly becoming a country where a truck driver or an oil rig worker or even somebody unskilled can make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year working uh, in that industry, but a scientist can't make uh, yeah. a scientist's salary working in there. A person driving a truck in Fort McMurray, from what I understand, can make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of dollars to drive a truck. Uh, driving a truck, I get it. It's a big deal and all that stuff, but it, hundreds of thousands of dollars to drive a truck. You can't make hundreds of thousands of dollars if you have a PhD in environmental science. You can't. Not in Canada, and I, and I think that might be the story is or a story is what is happening when you have a uh, mono economy, you know, and what is happening. This is a country where we think of ourselves as being on the on, you know, where we're technologically we're so sophisticated, scientifically we produce so much wonderful stuff, culturally, and it's all kind of getting whittled away at, and we have sort of just this one, this one economy. Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me of the debate about you know, I talk to people and they're like, well, why go to university? Right? Like, why go to university? Because you're not guaranteed a job anymore. It used to be university was a great job. I would say skip university and go straight into a trade and start making some money right away. And you know what? Like, if you're maximizing dollars made over your lifetime and taking the area under the curve, you probably can do just fine without university. To be honest, university probably won't make you twice as rich as you would be otherwise. Probably. I doubt that. Um, Not anymore. But what are you... Like, what are you optimizing? Like, for me, what I'm trying to optimize is to be a good person and to have a good life and to take care of the people I love. That's kind of what I'm optimizing. So I've made my decisions based on that. And I clearly made a decision a long time ago that money wasn't going to be what I optimized because I went to grad school, which if you're trying to optimize money is stupid, right? Like, you're poor as anything while you're in grad school. Yeah. And I was in grad school for six years. I, you know, I did two-year master's. I did a four-year PhD. And then I was a postdoc, which felt like I was rich compared to grad school. But I was still relatively making a lot less money than people my age who didn't go the academic route. You're obviously an idiot. Yeah, I'm clearly an idiot. But I wasn't. But I was getting free trips to Madagascar, to Costa Rica, to Australia, to New Zealand, and I was catching these bats that nobody knew anything about and I was putting them on treadmills and I was having so much fun and I was so happy that um, I, I was just optimizing a different part of the equation and I think that university, you know, I hope it doesn't get as expensive in Canada as it is in the States. It become prohibitively expensive, but it just makes you more interesting. It gives you more context. It makes you a better citizen and it makes, it opens your world up to stuff that you wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, uh, Reduction of a university education to kind of like a neat lifestyle choice is, a, is another a topic for another episode that I want to pursue. I, but it's all connected, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's about, uh, you know, you're, you're, what you're talking about is like 
a, a personal decision to have kind of a balanced and rich and, and meaningful life that contributes something. And, and you know, on a national scale, it's kind of like, yeah, well, what do we want to do in this country? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's um, – and it's funny. You go to other countries. Like I, I got to go to Sweden for our show recently and – it's just there's just different ways of seeing the world. Those those are countries that you know they have resources, they're resource based economies, and and you know, Denmark. But you know they're they're totally socialist, right? They're totally like, of course we take care of poor people, of course. And in Canada, I'd like to think we're we're further that in that direction than in the states. But these are decisions that we make as a society, and so the environmental choices that we make and all that stuff, it's it's all connected. And and who we are as people and who we are as a society, those are I hope correlated. <laughs> That's your Canada Land show. I hope you enjoyed it. Email me. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I'm also on Twitter at jessebrown. If you come to the website at canadalandshow.com, you'll find a new article posted there, a close look at a recent cover story on the cop who killed Sammy Yatim here in Toronto. Give it a read. A free audiobook download is waiting for you at audibletrial.com slash canadaland. Go grab it. It's easy. I make this show with Christopher DeMello. We will have another episode up for you on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.